Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Why don't you turn with me very quickly. We're just going to read one little text and then move into Ephesians. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And I'll begin reading. I'm going to read out of the NIV. And then I'm going to move to the ESV for the Ephesians passage, simply because I have it typed out here. Uh, NIV, verse 13, Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness... How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp or put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, when Jesus is stating this, he's obviously talking about us living a righteous life, expressing. We we often apply that to evangelism. We let our light shine. We sang the song when I was a little kid, let your little light shine. And that that is a valid interpretation. But Jesus is really talking about us living our righteous life overtly before men. That's what he's saying. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to read another passage. Ephesians 5. Verse 7 through 21. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go back. Yeah, 7 through 21. That'll work. Ephesians 5, 7 through 21. And he says, therefore... Tell you, as a matter of fact, let's go back just a little bit. Let's, let's go back to verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Now, we're we're doing a study in Ephesians. I think we were in installment 38 this last Wednesday night. And Josh Wheeler and I are tag teaming on this. And I so enjoyed Josh's teaching a couple weeks ago. And uh, this week we're going to tackle marriage. We're going to jump into that passage and we're trying to tackle about three to four verses each Wednesday night. And uh, we've just come through this passage here. And uh, it's, and so we, we've been looking at this. And one of the things we looked at a couple weeks ago, which is interesting to me, is that Paul says in verse six, let no one deceive you with empty words. There's several times Paul uses that phrase or one very similar, and he's always talking about people being deceived about living in sin and still being right with God. 
There's several passages. First Corinthians is one. We see one here. There's also in Galatians, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. What a man sows, he will reap. And so Paul uses this terminology, this warning saying, hey, be careful. Don't let someone deceive you with empty words. Living in overt, blatant sin and then claiming to be right with God is, is in and of itself deception. And so, then he goes, therefore do not be partners with people like that. Don't enter into a partnership with these kind of people. Verse 8 is where we're going to tackle this morning uh, to verse 21. I want to look at something. Now, for those of you, this is a disclaimer, those of you who are in church on Wednesday night in my class, we did cover the passage I want to look at this morning. And there may be a little overlap, but I really feel like there's, because of what's going on in our nation, And what is going on in this passage, I feel like this is something we need to visit and really put to the forefront. Because there's something that Paul deals with in this passage that is often misunderstood and in actuality is used to silent the saints of God. And keeps us from fulfilling the role, one of the roles that God has assigned to us that we just read about in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, that we are to be salt and light. But because of a rendering of this passage in chapter 5 of Ephesians and the way we interpret it, often it's used to silence believers. And it's, it, it's a cause for people to just say, well, I'm not going to talk about those things. And it shuts believers down and we fail to fulfill the purpose, one of, one of our, our charges by God as the church of Jesus Christ. And Paul in this passage tells us that there's certain times where this particular uh, responsibility is more important than others. And we're living in one of those times. That there are certain times where we need to do what this passage says than other times. And now is one of those times. So that's what we're going to look at. So rather than finish our passage, this would be a good time to pray. Father, Lord, I ask God that you would enlighten our minds this morning. Father, I ask that your word would teach itself. Lord, use my my mouth, my vocal cords, but Lord, we're asking that your word would speak to us. And Father, I'm asking that you would help us to touch the touchstone of your authority in your word. And Lord, let your authority be released in this room. Correct us, align us, strengthen us. Give us a holy resolve and courage to be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So let's look in verse 8. He says, well, verse 7 says, Therefore do not become partners with them. Verse 8. And I'm going to read out of the ESV now. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He doesn't say you were in the darkness and now you're in the light. He says literally you were darkness and you are light. That literally your life is to be light. You, wherever you go, you bring the light with you. You're shedding light on situations by your very character, your being, how you carry yourself. You are light. Walk as children of light. Now, he's just talked about previously in this passage of the sons of disobedience. And he's juxtaposing us. We're not the sons of disobedience. We're not those who stand against God's ways. We don't disobey God. We are children of light. We're walking with him. He said, so walk like that. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So he's defining what he's meaning. 
If you are a child of light, if we're walking in the light, the fruit of that is going to be good stuff, righteous stuff, and truth. Verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So he gives us two marching orders here. Walk as children of light and try to discern what is the will of the Lord. This is crucial, that we discern what, God, what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now, this is not something we usually think about as believers to go around exposing darkness. But there is a place for this. And now we need to understand the context in which Paul is talking about. Because the last thing what we the last thing we want are people that are outing each other, you know. I get up at Bible study, by the way, I saw someone doing something, you know, and call them. That's not what Paul's talking about here. But he is saying that we're to expose the fruitless deeds of darkness. Now look at verse 12. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. This is an interesting phrase. When everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for anything that is, becomes visible is light. So, if it's exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And once it's visible, it becomes the light. What in the world is he talking about? We'll get to that. So, here's the verse I really wanted to point out this morning. I want us to understand what Paul is saying here in verse 11 and 12. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't enter into partnership with them. Rather, expose them. Verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Now, when that verse is usually quoted, when it's read... Uh, For years, when I would read that verse, I just assumed that he was saying, it's shameful for me to even talk about these things that people are over here in secret doing these things, and I shouldn't even talk about them, let alone be in partnership with them. And that's the way the English translations, the way it's... The the way the sentence is structured, it'd be easy to come to that conclusion. But if we look at the context, it's very clear what Paul is saying. He's saying that don't take part in the fruitless deeds of darkness, rather expose them. For it is shameful to even talk about in secret what those people are doing. The shame that Paul is turning, excuse me, when Paul's going shame, 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 he's not saying shame, shame, shame to the people that are doing things in secret. It's not the acting in secret. It's the believers talking about them in secret. That is the shame. It's a shame that believers will talk about things in private and say, oh, this shouldn't be, but we won't speak up in public. That we'll talk about behind closed doors when we're preaching to the choir. It's real easy for me as a pastor to preach about things here. It's a whole other thing to talk about them out there where people don't agree with me. It always, it's always interesting to me how, you know, I won't get into it. Should I? There was, there was this, uh, this Hollywood star and she was talking about how, you know, abortion and, and how she stands for abortion. I remember this other Hollywood star, this guy, he said, I so respect her. She's always fearless. And I'm thinking, what is fearless about t- saying that amongst a bunch of people that are going to pat you on the back? But the same thing goes for you and I. It's not fearless for me to say these things in church because I'm preaching to the choir. What we need to understand is that we 
need to be exposing the deeds of darkness out there. That we need to speak up and not be silent. Because there is a charge to the church that we are to be salt and light. We are a preservative for society. We are the light that sheds and exposes, it it exposes darkness. Do not be a partaker of the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose those things. And we are living in a climate in our country right now where we are hurtling in a very frightening direction. Where recently, the major, the major candidates, almost every major candidate for president has signed off an infanticide. And it's easy for us to talk about how horrendous that is in this setting. And we need to talk about that in this setting. But we also need to be talking about it out there. Because the way that evil works is that if righteous people don't say anything, there is a window of time for us to speak up. And if we don't, it becomes normalized. And what happens is evil always pushes the envelope, pushes the boundary, and waits to see if anybody's going to say anything. And if all the believers are talking about it in secret, shame on us. That we need to be talking about these things openly and saying this cannot be. We need to be the conscience of the nation. We need to to draw the line in the sand on these things and sound the alarm. And the vast majority of people do not side with that kind of craziness. Most people won't sign off on that. But if people don't speak up, it will become normalized. And that is what Paul's talking about here. He goes on to say, listen, he says... Take no part in the fruitful, unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. It is shameful to speak in secret of the things that they do. For it is for anything, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And for anything that becomes visible is light. So what's he talking about? How can, he says if it's exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And once it's visible, it's part of the light. Because once it is pointed out for what it is, it becomes part of the evidence, the body of evidence against evil. It can no longer be used to bolster evil, uh, you know, evil policies. And so we need to call it what it is. And there's a window of time. Paul goes on to say this. Listen here. Look carefully then how you walk. Or, I'm sorry. Uh, jump back up to verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is light. The end of that verse says, Therefore, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He's calling the believers to wake up. He's saying, awake, sleeper. We need to speak up because if we don't, there's a window of time where that will become normalized and you've lost the opportunity to speak up. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time or some translations, I believe the King James Version says redeeming the time, Uh, literally has the idea of buying back time. Uh, because the days are evil. 
So let me read that again. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. So the line of Paul's reasoning here is we need to speak up. We need to sound the trumpet. We need to make our voice heard. This cannot be. We can't do this as a nation. This is a horrendous thing. We need to, we need to become the conscious and, and uh, speak up on these matters. And when we do, we shed the light on it. And people, if we don't, people will not be embarrassed and won't... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Paul is saying it's shameful for us. And we need to, there are some things that it's right to be ashamed of. And so we need to speak those things out. So that those things are exposed. And then he says, awake, O sleeper. Come on, church, wake up. And then he says, walk as wise, not as unwise, and redeem the time for the days are evil. His line of reasoning is this. We need to redeem time. Why? Because of the evil nature of the age. The word he uses for evil here is not just some abstract evil that's out there. That, you know, there's, there's evil in the world. But it's a pernicious evil that is actively opposing the things of God. It's, there, is, it, there is an entity uh, uh, behind this thing. There is an evil strategy that's always trying to encroach. Is that as that battle with truth and that battle with the church. And because of that, we need to redeem the time because the days are evil. Now, when he talks about time there, it's a very interesting thing that Paul is saying. There's two Greek words that Paul could have used. He could have used the word chronos. It has the idea of just the succession of events. You know, uh, there's moments that pass and they go by like a river and they're gone. It's, it, you know, time is gone. It's the, the passing of time. But then there's this other, uh, this kairos moment where it's not an event. It's not a moment. It's a season of opportunity. It's like a window that opens and it has to be seized in that moment. And if we don't seize that moment, that window of opportunity will quickly close and it'll be gone forever. Those of you that remember Steve Hill, he would often quote one of his spiritual fathers, Leonard Ravenhill, passed away just before the Brownsville revival that Steve was the leader of, uh, broke out. And he would often quote this because this this phrase made a huge impact on his life. And it really sums up what Paul is saying in that verse about redeeming the time. And this is what he said. The opportunity of a lifetime must be seized during the lifetime of the opportunity. In other words, those opportunities open and they close. And wisdom sees them and seizes them. But if we don't see them, we won't seize them, and the opportunity will close, and that, 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 that thing will not arise again. And so we've got to seize, or we've got to buy back that time. We've got to take advantage of these things. And so the wise children of God are, are attuned with the signs of the times, and they know what they should do. They know they need to act. They know they need to speak up. And so Paul says, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and let Christ shine on you. If you wake up, if you rise up, then Christ will shine upon you. Scholars agree that Paul is referring to that passage in Isaiah that says the glory of the Lord has shone upon you. 
But there's a criteria for us to rise up. We don't wait for the glory to come upon us and then we speak up. We rise up, we speak up, and then the glory of the Lord comes upon us. God will strengthen us if we do what he's called us to do. But we have got to be the voice for the nation as believers. There are so many people out there, especially in these politically charged times, that are afraid to speak up for righteousness because they're afraid they're going to get hit in the mouth. And you might in this day and age. We're living in some crazy times. But the last thing we need are believers to abdicate our role and withdraw and sit around and talk secretly in our Bible studies about how bad things have gotten. We need to engage and we need to be speaking into the public square. You need to leverage your social media for righteous causes. I mean, I'm, I'm glad about the steak you got last night and the little Instagram shot you got on it. That's fine. You know, there's no problem with that. My wife is a master at that. We were over somewhere. They were at Ty and Christie's the other night. She, man, this, this picture she took was a masterpiece. It was amazing. There's nothing wrong with that. But we also need to leverage it. You have a platform for influence. Let's utilize that for righteousness. Let's take a stand. Let's do so respectfully, but let's speak into the, the, uh, in, into society, into the cultural center, and talk about righteous causes. That's what Paul is saying here. And it is our responsibility. Now, people have gotten mad at me on Facebook, and, and a few people have talked to me in church, but mostly it's on Facebook, because again, I'm preaching to the choir. It doesn't take any, it doesn't take being fearless to talk about these things in church. Every now and then, someone will wander in and, and uh, have a different view, but by and large, you know, those people don't stick around, and so I'm not preaching to them. <laughs> people have said, well, pastor, why do you get political? Why do you talk about being political? Aren't you coming under a political spirit? People will even quote this verse and the verse that Jesus was talking about earlier in the Matthew passage. Do not judge. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're not supposed to even talk about those things. That's getting political. We, separation of church and state as if, you know, they're going to appeal to the Constitution or the Bible to silence the church. Well, here's my theology, okay? I'm a kingdom man. We are to preach the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom, you break that phrase down etymologically, and this is what it means. Gospel is good news. It's the good news, and kingdom is king's dominion. It's the good news of the king's dominion. And the king's dominion is exercised over all of life. There is an application of the kingdom to every facet of life. And what we don't need is a truncated gospel that's merely a gospel of salvation that abdicates the entire world to the enemy and to the unbelieving world that don't have the mind of Christ and we just say our only job is to preach the, the cross so that you can get to heaven and frankly that mentality is to hell with the world and that is not the gospel of the kingdom the gospel of the kingdom has a, an application to all of us. Again, I'm preaching to the choir. I appreciate that. But I know you already agree with me. I'm trying to expand your understanding and, and stretch you a little bit. But by and large, you're all going to agree with me. But we need to have a grid work for this because we have a role to play in our nation. So, principle number one. The kingdom of God has an application to all of life. God is the designer of all things. 
and therefore he knows how to make them work. And he graciously gave us his book. And if we mine out principles, these principles apply to all of life, including government. It is government that determines our laws. And those laws are made according to the values of the people that are making them. So they're going to take their values, formulate the same thing with judges. You know, we'd like to think that uh, Lady Justice is blindfolded, but we know better. We've read the decisions. And depending on your political persuasion, they will choose accordingly. And so government makes laws according to an internal value system. Well, the only value system that's really going to work, that's going to make a country run well, that's why it says, when the righteous rule, the people rejoice. So what we need to do is we need to pray for enlightened individuals that will govern through a biblical ethic, a biblical worldview. And the more biblical their worldview is, the more things are going to work well. So principle number one, the kingdom of God has an application to all of life. Number two, that includes government. Number three, the way people get into government is largely through politics. I know I'm going there. We got it. So it's Paul. It's the political process that get people inserted into government so that they can make righteous or unrighteous laws. So you and I do not have the luxury of not getting involved in politics. Okay. We say, well, I'm not, I'm not going to get involved in that. I'm a kingdom person. Well, you're, the, Jesus told us to pray that his kingdom would come to earth. There is an application of the kingdom on earth. And I'm telling you, there is not, there, and this is not about a political party. I'm not married to either political party, but I'm just going to say it. I'm telling you, I am shocked at what I'm seeing. I was raised as in a home of Democrats, okay? My mom and dad were Democrats way back. I was in, you know, I, I, I couldn't vote. I wasn't, you know, but I, so I guess I was a Democrat. I, you know, I liked who my mom and dad liked. But I'm really deeply, deeply concerned with what I'm seeing with the presidential candidates. And we need to pray because there is this pressure for them to appease this radical leftist base. And let me just say something. There's a difference between liberalism and leftism, okay? Hey, there's, there's some wonderful ideals in the proud liberal de- Democrat party. There were some wonderful ideals that I was raised with. My family, we weren't even blue collar. We were trying to get there, okay? And the liberal ideals, there's some wonderful ideas. Leftism is not liberalism. Leftism is a demonic philosophy meant to enslave people and it always does and it's destroyed every country that it rules over and there's a reason that leftist countries often have gates to keep people in and democratically led you know democratic republics and capitalistic countries have gates trying to keep people out because of what they produce and so we need to understand that this, this leftist ideology is demonic in its origin and it has destroyed people's lives. I've got friends that made it out of Cuba. You know, people like to talk about how great Cuba is. You know, the left loves to talk about how, how enlightened they are. Oh, they always, you know, they, they have free health care. I knew a surgeon that made it out of Cuba. 
And he couldn't do surgeries because they never had the basic stuff. They didn't even have bandages. He would get on his bike and drive to do the surgery and it had to be canceled because they wouldn't even have bandages that day. That that country was devastated in poverty. Now they're opening up because we've removed sanctions and they're they're adopting some capitalistic ideas or they're allowed to own, you know, own businesses and stuff. And it's starting to gear up and capitalism and all that is gearing it up and it's a wonderful thing. But we just need to be very clear. We need to pray for this ideology that's trying to infect our nation. We need to stand against it. I'm not talking about voting party lines. One of these days, we just need to start a new party. You know, John Paul Jackson prophesied there's a new party going to arise out of the United States. And I'm, I'm going to study it well and decide if I'm going to get on board on the front end. Woo, you know. But we don't have the luxury of not being involved in the political process. Because you and I live in a very unique experiment called the United States of America. Where it truly is a government by the people for the people. And that's a rare thing. There's a danger in us thinking this is normal. I was talking to a precious couple uh, the other day that that came from a war-torn country, made it out, came to the United States, part of the church here, and I just so enjoyed talking with them. And they said, Pastor, you don't realize what you have in the United States. It just broke me to hear them talk about their love for the form of government that we have and the prosperity that we have. And their burden for the country that they left. And they said, you need to take a team there. I'm thinking, I'd like to. <laughs> so we live in this unique experiment. Because of that, you have been given this awesome charge. This responsibility, this authority called a vote. And you are to surrender that vote to heaven. And to ask God, God, how do I utilize this wisely? And I need to speak up into the public forum again and again and again. I need to talk about these things. Because we have a window of time. When craziness like saying it's okay to let a little helpless baby die on a table because the mother didn't want it and it was born alive. And now the doctors can just, while the baby's gagging and crying and struggling for its breath, that the the doctors, that the, the medical personnel not only can, but they're required to ignore the pleas of that child. If we don't speak up, shame on us. We have blood on our hands. But I'm telling you, there's a window of time for us to speak up. And if we don't, it becomes normalized. And we, we're, we're sitting in our little Bible studies and talk about it in secret. Isn't that terrible? Look at what's happening. It's happening on our watch. And it's not just a matter of us praying. It's a matter of us proclaiming and talking and engaging people. Now, how do we do that? Paul says, rather expose them. There are two, there, there's two things we need to, I, I was trying to communicate some of this Wednesday night. And uh, so for some of you, this might be a little bit of review, but I think it's something important for us to understand. You can frame it this way. There's two prophetic expressions engaging government that we see in Scripture. And and two good overarching templates that we could look at would be a Daniel or a John the Baptist. Both of these guys engaged the ruling powers. They both were political because they engaged government and called them out. Which one is right? Daniel was a man who served these pagan kings well. 
He loved them. He honored them. I was just rereading through his life story again. And how Daniel, man, he, he would serve pagan after pagan. These guys were whacked. I mean, uh, and God tells it, Nebuchadnezzar in his dream, he said, you, or Daniel gives him, tells him what his dream was. He says, you, you kill who you want. You promote who you want. You remove who you want. God has given you that authority, Nebi. I mean, this guy had absolute power. He was ruling the world. But when Daniel would interact with him, he was so honoring. Again and again, you'd see Daniel telling the king, Oh, king, live forever. Oh, but this were about your enemies and not against you. This, this negative word I'm just about to drop on you and that you could kill me over. You know, He was so honoring. He loved these men well. And then we see John the Baptist. He calls out, Herod, for sleeping with his sister-in-law and calls him out publicly and says, this is not right, you shouldn't be doing this, and exposes this thing publicly. So which one is the biblical pattern? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. One of the things we really need to be careful of is that we allow people to run in their lane. That there are people that are called to be overt in their pre- Lance Wall now has become very overt in the last number of years. Okay, I mean he's on do, you know doing webcasts all the time, just calling things out. And hey, there's oil on his life. He's got a platform for that. He's got the mind for it. He's got the sense of humor for it. He's great. I love it. Then there's others who are covert and serving behind the scenes and loving leaders well that they don't even agree with. And we need to let people run in their lanes. Now, the fact is, Daniel, even though he was a covert operative, honoring and loving these pagan kings well, there were times where he called them out. Was it Belteshazzar? He he said, you know, he told him, he said, hey, there's writing on the wall. That's where we get that. The writing on the wall, he interpreted, said, the kingdoms, you're losing it tonight. And by the way, the the bribe you were going to give me, keep it. I don't want it. He knew he was about ready to lose everything anyway. And So even though he was a man who learned to honor well, he would still deliver hard words. But his ministry was different. Daniel was one that would minister to the leader. He would minister to the one. And he loved them well. And it's a picture for you and I that we need to, when we're dealing with the individual, we need to love them well. We don't need to be throwing political bombs at an individual. You know, I don't need to walk up to someone and, and uh, start, you know, they, maybe they have, I'm pro-choice on their shirt, and I go up there, you know, and start, I, don't, I don't need to unleash that on them. I need to love the individual well. But I also have to carry this message to the culture at large and call it for what it is. And those are two different approaches. One is to the individual And I need to engage them, and I need to talk to them, and I need to do that in a respectful way, just like Daniel did. But that doesn't negate our responsibility to talk to the culture at large and to use our voice and to press the truth into the public forum. Because if we don't, nobody will. And there's an intimidation factor right now that is being utilized by the enemy. And some people will use Scripture. Someone told me the other day, don't judge. You know, they typed on Facebook, don't judge, you know. I didn't even have to say anything. All these other Christians, you know, I just sat back and watched. The person just didn't understand. And so we need to be careful when we're bringing correction to that. Then there's other people. That's unconstitutional. Separation of church and state. Hey, yeah, 
I'm a, I'm a citizen of the United States and I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and my job to preach the truth and I've got to exercise that regardless of my vocation, okay? And so I just happen to use my platform for it. And you need to use yours for it. But we can't, we can't allow ourselves to be silent. And what happens is, is people adopt one view or the other as if that is the only way. And so you have some people that are saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love people well as an individual and validate them personally. So there I won't, therefore, I won't speak of this sin. I'm not going to talk about those things because that's getting political. And then there's other people who are so political, they can't even engage someone and love them well. They're obnoxious. And you don't, you don't want to take them anywhere with you because you don't know what's going to break out, you know. And we need to learn to live this in this tension. Love the individual well. But talk about cultural evil as it is. And do so in a respectful way. To be the salt and light we're called to be. Now, I wish I could articulate that better, but I can't. (laughs) That's about as good as I can do. But we need to learn to live in this tension between these two things. We need to love the individual and speak to the culture. It's the difference between friendship and leadership. Friendship, I'm in relationship. That is the primary thing. And I'm going to honor you and I'm going to love you. Leadership, I'm going to exercise my platform of influence for society, for the culture at large. And I need to exercise that well. It's kind of like what we've talked about before. Uh, some of you that have been around here for a while, yeah, uh, you, you've noticed that when we have different speakers come through, it's almost as though they contradict each other. You ever notice that? I mean, we'll have one guy come in and preach something. And then the next guy comes in and you got, he kind of preaches against what the last guy preached, in, preached on. And then the pastor's left to try to make sense of the two, you know. And then you got these two factions in the church. Well, I'm, a, I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm of Paul. You know? I'm of Peter. I'm of Dan Muller. I'm Danny Silk, you know. And we need to learn to rightly divide the word. Part of wisdom is being able to distinguish between contexts. That all truth has its context. And you can have a truth, but if you remove the truth from its context, it's no longer true. And what the enemy loves to do is take a truth in the context in which it's true, hijack it, move it into another context, drop it in there, and then begin to argue the truth to perpetrate a lie. And a misapplication of the truth bolsters his strategy. And so we need to be wise and discern, oh, this is not the proper context for this truth. That's true, but that that belongs to this context, not to this one. And the enemy is a master of changing context and arguing the truth in a context that is no longer true. Like the guy said the other day, well, don't judge. Because I said, you know, I said, it's horrendous that people are signing off in infanticide. Don't judge. What do you mean, don't judge? Really? But see, he had heard this principle, and so he took it, and it had been applied to the wrong concept. He's just sharing what he believed. And he just needed to be gently enlightened, you know. Some people weren't so gentle, but, you know, gently enlightened that that's not the context in which it belongs. 
And so we need to understand the different contexts. There are places that we talk to the individual and there's places we talk to the corporate group. And those are two different functions. Those of you that have been around for a while, we've, we talked about this some time back. Dan Moeller would come, and Dan Moeller is one of the most phenomenal teachers. He preaches the clearest gospel that I've ever heard. It, it's just an amazing thing when Dan Moeller preaches. But Dan is a pastoral preacher, teacher, and he is preaching to the individual. And that's what he's talking about, to the individual. So you'll hear Dan say things like, boundaries, boundaries is code word for selfishness. You don't need boundaries. Man, you just serve people. And if they walk all over you, then you love them well. You don't need boundaries. Don't be selfish. He's hammering on us, us owning this thing that I've got to love people well, that I live for others. And that is true. That is good discipleship teaching. But if you make a culture out of that, okay, at Heartland, we just walk all over each other. Feel free. That's not good culture. And that's not good leadership. After Dan came and taught on that, we had Danny Silkin. And Danny Silk taught this whole session on boundaries. It was phenomenal. It was hilarious. And it was phenomenal. And you know what I thought? Among other things, I thought, that's really good. I made a bunch of notes. And one of my primary takeaways was this. I would love to have Dan and Danny in at the same time. Lock them in the office with a camcorder and just let it run. And see what comes of that. Because they seem to contradict each other. But Danny is a leader that's talking about leading an organization. Dan Muller doesn't lead organizations. He disciples people. He's in dealing with the, the individual. And it's true, there's an application to the individual. But you can't take that application to the individual and try to apply it to an organization. Because if you do, you're going to mess that organization up. You have a bunch of people that are taking advantage of other people's willingness to be walked on. So, we pre- so in creating culture, then we abide by certain values and say, hey, we don't do that around here. We hold you accountable for your responsibility. We don't put up with that kind of behavior. That's not who we are as a family. And so if you do that, there's going to be consequences until you correct that or you can't be part of the family. We don't let people steal and you know, defame each other and all those things. We have boundaries that we adhere to around here. It's not negating what Dan was saying, but this applies to the individual. This over here applies to the corporate group. And there are a lot of things like that that we need to understand. And we need to be... Paul in this passage is saying, walk as wise and not as unwise. And one of the major components of wisdom is being able to distinguish between application. We need to rightly divide the word that this applies to this, but this applies to here. And we've got to keep the boundary lines clear. Because otherwise, the enemy loves to take the word of God to oppose the move of God and the work of God. And if we don't rightly handle the word, we can aid and abet the enemy by buying into this thing. Well, I'm not supposed to judge. I I shouldn't even talk about those things that they're doing in secret. I guess we'll just, we're not supposed to be political. You know, there's the only, why rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic? This whole thing's going down. All we need to worry about is, oh, give an altar call. And I'm not, I'm not, I I shouldn't say it that sarcastically, but 
We need to give altar calls and we need to see people saved. But we also have a mandate for the redemption of all things. There are nations that have had tremendous moves of God where if you start looking at the statistics of some of these major evangelists, they've had more people answer altar calls than live in the nation. It's like the whole nation got saved twice. And then they erupt in civil war and they're killing each other. Why? Because they've reduced it to an altar call and a prayer of salvation. But they're not teaching people how to live life and apply it to all of, all of life, including government. To build infrastructure. The kingdom of God has an application to all things. I've told you this before, but sometimes I'll drive around Ankeny and I feel the pleasure of God. There's a street that I take home and I'm going down and it has a turning lane and street lights and sidewalks and there's nothing there. It's an open field. Why? Because they're planning ahead. And I have often felt the pleasure of God on that. That God is a God of order. And good governmental planning pleases his heart. God's into those kind of things. That's part of his nature. There's an application in all of life. And so we want to partner with heaven. God has given you a voice to speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. Now that's not isolated to abortion. There's a lot of other applications We're to speak up for those who are marginalized. God is a God of justice, and we need to do that. But I'm telling you, when when a nation starts to say, well, if this aborted child makes it through the process and is laying on the table, just ignore it and let it die. Somebody has to speak up. It's your and my job. And there's a window of time, an opportunity, and that window will close. It's going to be normalized unless we speak up now. So I want to encourage you, man, make phone calls to your representatives. Talk about this stuff. I have found that people, I I used to go out and do drugs with. And I've ended up inadvertently engaging them on this and shocked that some of the people that are still out doing those things are in complete agreement. They don't, they can't sign off on that stuff. This isn't some, you know, just for, you know, uh, uptight evangelicals. Okay, this is common sense, but we need to speak up. So let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for Paul's instruction. Lord, I pray that you would. Lord, help us to realize that the days are evil. And that is the motivation Paul gives us to seize the opportunities that we have. Lord, I pray that you give us courage and make us people saturated with love and wisdom so that we not only say the right things, we say it with the right heart. Lord, help us not to discredit ourselves, discredit our legitimate argument with an illegitimate attitude. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.